Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and eight minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, commercial drones raise concerns and a terrorist alert. A new app category, Tinder for the skies. Aren't there too many air travel apps? An entire airline crew arrives totally drunk on board. Malaysia Airlines rumor new named is too stupid to be true. A sales tax scam at UK airports provokes a passenger revolt. Delta has an unconvincing argument in its competition with Dubai, and Facebook will beam Wi-Fi from the skies. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 21 to Las Vegas. Hi, Alex. Las Vegas. Hi, Paul. How are you? Kidding you. Good. I... I as you were doing the intro there, I just concocted a story in my head about why we chose Las Vegas, and it's the 21st episode, and on your 21st birthday, it's a rite of passage to go to Las Vegas as an American because you can finally drink and gamble. Oh, yeah, well, because that <laughs> that airport is a casino or something, right? <laughs> yeah, just like every other building in Las Vegas. <laughs> but let's start somewhere else. Let's start first uh, to say happy birthday to Singapore. Singapore just turned 50. And during their National Parade Day, they had an A380 flying over the city. Have you seen the pictures? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. I'll With put, a special, uh, special paint job, too. Yeah, so uh, I, exactly. I think there's actually two of these with this paint job. And it was actually uh, the, the pilot of that plane uh, is called uh, Captain Yeep, I think. Uh, he actually came up with the idea. I'll try to find a video of the, the plane itself. I found a video of the library, so the, the repaint, and that's pretty cool. But I haven't found yet a video of uh, all those aircrafts. I mean, there are military jets. Actually, a few actually uh, are flying in. And they make a big 50. 50 yeah. That's, that's amazing. It's really, really cool. So anyway, happy birthday, Singapore. Uh, we had an episode of that. but uh, And uh, we'll probably... Actually, I thought at some point we'll probably redo some of the uh, airports we've already done. Yeah, because we're going to run out pretty quickly here. <laughs> oh, yeah, or we're going to reach the airports that nobody knows about. So, I mean, we'll see. But talking about that, I actually... That there were there were a few poor passengers, so the 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 airspace was actually closed over Singapore from six twenty five to seven ten p.m. on that Sunday, with obviously with all these things happening in the skies, and there poor passengers of a Qantas plane, uh, they were delayed, and then obviously the plane couldn't actually take off, and they ended up being in the airport for twenty three hours. Oh, well, <laughs> as we've always said, there's if you're gonna get stuck at an airport, that's the airport to get stuck at. Yes, absolutely. It's, a, well, it's the best Chinese. airport in the world. It's but the best 23 hours, I don't even understand how that's possible. Yeah. And talking about Singapore, I mean, talking about Changi, actually, there, there was a CNN reported that actually they might have to close one runway uh, to refurbish it. Uh, of course, this is not tomorrow, so flyers going there, don't, don't worry, but they might close it by 2019. Uh, but 
the rumor is, is maybe by that time the third one ray will be built so that won't actually affect. But I mean, it's um, we've seen that uh, Dubai airport had to close its, uh, its run, one of its runways for a few months for uh, to re remake it. And actually that creates a bit of a glut in traffic so i hope they will figure that out and but we'll do another episode because i think what they're building there is amazing there's will be a new terminal uh terminal 4 in 2017 then terminal 5 will be like this massive thing and they will have the shopping center in the middle i mean it's just crazy airport. yeah they're going double or nothing on that airport just it's it's so good as it is but i think that they're feeling a little bit of a of a pinch from from the middle east and from other asian carriers who are kind of diverting some of their their treasured uh, transit traffic away from them. So they're, they're yeah, actually, upping there was a, the stakes, as it were. Yeah, actually, there was a, st uh, a story. So um, because Singapore, one of the... I mean, it used to be that Qantas, by the way, since we talked about Qantas, they used to route through Singapore before going to Europe. And then they made that alliance with the Emirates. And now they mm -hmm. route through, uh, obviously, Dubai. Now, actually, Emirates is actually doubling down on the routes from Australia to Singapore itself. Uh, and it's actually making a big competition for Singapore Airline. Yeah, it's, and I think it's there are a lot of airlines that are choosing different routes to get from Australasia to Europe. In fact, my brother, who's who's doing a trip later this year, uh, is asked him about his route back, and he said that he was flying from Sydney to or somewhere in Australia back to the UK. And I said, I assumed, oh, Qantas, and he said, no, Etihad. Because they're just wow. pushing the prices down yeah, so much, yeah. actually. And I want to give my my brother uh, Andrew a shout out because yesterday, a day before, unprompted and without coercion or cash payment up front, he <laughs> told me how much he likes this podcast. So oh, thank that was, you so it much. It was really nice to hear because uh, you know I didn't, I wasn't expecting it. So Andrew, thank you for. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, why you? I think you said you were pottering around doing your coffee or something like that. So <laughs> we're, we're the background noise to my brother's morning rituals. <laughs> but thank you so much. Yeah, obviously. Oh, and so, but still about that. Sorry. So not only so they've uh, the the thing is the interesting bit about Singapore Airlines itself, not the airport, is that they've uh, so Emirates has had. Uh, as have now the A380. Singapore only has a few A380s, but Emirates only routes that I rather just mentioned to Australia, whether it's Sydney or Melbourne, is all full, filled with A380. But you, you actually had a, you, you said that in a like few episodes ago. Now we have so many episodes, I can't remember which one, but that, you know, since Singapore Airline was actually pushing its low cost things as well. So that's, uh, what's the name again? Um, Scoot. Scoot. And actually, they're eating their own cake because obviously you have actually routes that now instead of using Singapore Airline, which is the main line, which is a premium product, you they people would actually lose what price sensitive would actually choose their competition, which actually belongs to Singapore Airline, but that hurts Singapore Airlines. I've never really understood how those models work. I, I get when there's a big differentiation when you have you know, a lot of intercontinental travel and then you start a low cost carrier to do regional. But but Scoot also Scoot, first of all, has seven eighty sevens. They also do Apparently though they're so crammed with seats, it's just insane. But Yeah. And I think, you know, you're after a different product, but they're flying long haul. This yeah, thing, exactly. Yeah. Which absolutely. seems to be like you say, you know. And I don't know if they're trying to get both ends of the market and, and going up against Etihad and people like that who are offering uh, lower prices for the same routes. I, I don't know. I've always wondered about these these types of strategies. And, and there was there was an article that I've read. Uh, this, this person and uh, director at an equity market research company, I think May, Maybank Investment Bank. That's that's the one. Ah, and he yes. said that I long haul too. long haul flights uh, from Singapore Airlines have been losing money since uh, two thousand and nine. 
So they're actually not making a lot of profit on those routes. I mean, they just announced profit, uh, but the long-haul routes are actually not a, a revenue-making for the company, which actually then some analysts, including Ben Schlappig, who we talked about, he's this guy who's flying all over the world in first yeah. class with his freaking... Uh, he has a blog. He has a blog, and he, he gives some opinions. And he, one of the opinion he, he said uh, last week, I think, it was like, should Singapore Airlines simply give up on its long haul strategy and become more like Malaysian is trying to do now, which is a re- regional airline? Do you think it has this theory has any legs? It, it might, but I would be sad to see that happen because it is such a good long haul product. I don't think that's up for debate at all. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but. Hopefully, this investment and focus on the short haul or medium haul with Scoot. And they also have Silk Air as well. Silk Air, yeah. Which is a regional carrier. Um, I don't know if it's low cost as, as, as much as Scoot is, but I don't understand that strategy. But if hopefully, that focus allows them to kind of balance the books a little bit more and keep the long haul because they would be always my uh, my carrier of choice, I think, to Singapore. Yeah. Um, until yeah. you know, until some of the other airlines start putting different, uh, different metal on them, because it's really it's just BA and SQ who do the do the. From London, although yeah. that said, BA have put a put an A three eighty on that, so I take that back. I've never flown Singapore, but they have are no, no, never in oh, my life. My goodness, and I'm 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 on a Star Alliance. I've status and center of Star Alliance. But the reason is that they are very tough on upgrades. Uh, they are uh, the, one of the toughest airlines, which I understand. They, their policy is like, if you want to be in front of the cabin, you pay for it, uh, which I, which makes sense, actually, right? So the, when I have to decide, I usually take an airline where I have a bigger, better shot at getting upgraded, to yeah, be fair enough. That's, that's, that's that, Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. And uh, for those who are interested actually in flying uh, Singapore Airlines, uh, because of that 50th birthday we just mentioned, uh, they actually fifty percent off all flights. <laughs> well, I would hope so. But actually, there's a fire sale. I've only found it from uh, from flights departing from the U.S., but I'm sure it happens in other places as well. So you can actually, if you fly from, for instance, um, um, L.A. or uh, New York, you can fl- find flights to Singapore as low as eight hundred fifty dollars. That's very, not too bad at all. Good deal. So if you want to try it and you live in the U.S. You should try. Apparently, all the deals are not evident to find on the website. But if you look a little bit, you'll be able to find them. You mentioned um, Emirates uh, before, uh, and Emirates, as uh, you know, the usual saga we talk about in every episode, uh, had just had a little bit fighty with Delta. Yeah, this is pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> this actually made me laugh out loud, which I think illustrates how much of an airplane dork I am. But uh, Emirates, again, and this sort of tit for tat that's been going on since the dawn of this show. Delta uh, made some comments three or four days ago, actually over the weekend, about the competition and they would need to pull back on flights from Atlanta uh, to Dubai this winter, blaming overcapacity because the Middle Eastern Airlines were, th- were throwing so much capacity at us. Oh, we have to pull back. We had to pull back. Emirates said, and I quote, Delta's attempts to pin the blame on the quote-unquote Gulf carrier threat is plainly a political play or a thin excuse to prop up fares at a higher level by limiting capacity. (laughs) What they've also pointed out is that by looking at Department of Transportation data, i.e. publicly available data, 
the average load factor between in 2013-2014 on Atlanta Dubai had been consistently above 85%, showing that consumer demand and overcapacity was quantifiably not an issue. <laughs> it's like somebody didn't do their job at Delta if that story came out. It hit me, but are there Emirates is not flying to Atlanta? Not yet. Yeah, but that's the thing. So, so basically, Delta says, oh, it's because of you, so we're going to remove our flights from uh, Atlanta to Dubai. But there's no flight from Emirates that flies there. So, I mean, they're shooting themselves at a foot yeah. or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like starting a fight that didn't need to be fought. It's bizarre. So now, the only if they are going to do that over this period where Delta's pulling back, they leave their domestic competitor united airlines is the only airline u.s airline flying from uh, they actually fly from dc to dubai so oh, it's wow. like just give give all the traffic to your domestic competitor uh collusion <laughs> no i'm kidding of course <laughs> no, but I, I just oh well so that's the and only it, nonstop. that will be the only nonstop flight between the u.s and dubai on a u.s carrier, carrier. this winter Oh, well, uh, moving on to, I mean, still to talking about uh, these two airlines, Emirates and, and, and Singapore. They both have, so the, uh, I don't know you've flying a lot Emirates yourself, but if no, you not, fly not Emirates, for a long time. the IFE obviously is known to, to be very good. Uh, you have Wi-Fi in some of the, pl- the planes now as well. And uh, so Singapore uh, actually is upping this game because it's announcing that for premium economy cabins to the United States this September, they will have a new swipe screen remote control that also serves as a mini second screen allowing passengers to look at a flight map, play a game, learn a foreign language <laughs> while watching, at the same time while watching the video on the main screen. It's pretty cool. In flight uh, technology for consumer technology is actually improving. So I thought we'll do a, a quick, very quick rundown on a few of the apps that I've seen in recent weeks because we call ourselves the Aviation Innovation so- Show and sometimes we forgot to mention any apps. So a very quick one and I'm going to ask you if you find them cool or not. First, the app is called App in the Air. I don't know if you have that on your iPhone. It's a very similar value proposition to uh, TripIt, which a lot of those are. This is a bit sad because you're like, I have TripIt. Why would I get another one? You know, yeah. just, that just works. But so they just released a, fi- a version 5.0 uh, and they actually did a little, lot of new stuff in it. So uh, first of all, you can have a crowdsource information for the airport wait times and the airline quality. Why not? It's kind of a re- review thing. Uh, you can create a hotspot with your app. So basically, any person who is actually also logged in on the same app can suddenly share your internet. Would you do that? No. Yeah, (laughs) that's the thing. I mean, it sounds good as an idea. I'm not sure people actually would do it. They've added something really cool in in airport navigation. So that worked for JFK, uh, Chicago, RD, Seattle, uh, Philadelphia, LAX, and Miami. That's cool. That is cool. That's really cool. And and what this is the one I want to ask you about: communicate with nearby people. Would you do that? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think. I mean, you and I are, are. we are creatures of habit when it comes to we to travel. We have certain patterns that we go through as we progress through the airport and eventually onto the airplane where another set of rituals take over. But yeah. I am definitely a, a solo traveler. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. There was also another app that does the same thing that, that popped on my on my feed on Twitter the other day. It was called Flight Chat. So it's, you can 
Ping, fellow travelers, the same ID, you're in the plane, and uh, of course, provided you have Wi-Fi, and then suddenly you can actually uh, chat with people. I think at first it's anonymized, so chat with other people within the plane. I don't, th you know, I mean, all these look cool from the face of it when you read about them, but I'm not sure, and I'm not saying, I mean, good luck to Flight Chat. App in the air is really well done, so I hope this, they, they make it, but I, I do think it's really valuable. I just don't think there's a market. I, I don't think that being in the same space at the same time is enough of a social overlap to prompt, you know, communication. And when Virgin America has a seat back chat since day one, yep, and I yep. think maybe six people in the history of the airline have ever used it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, but you know, it's a little bit harder to use. It's not as, it's not yeah, as it's not an app or, or yeah, yeah, course, exactly. Yeah. But I honestly, I, I, if you've ever used one of these, if you ever used in-flight chat or anything like that, get in touch with us and tell yeah, us Yeah, let us know, why. honestly. Or if you're the founder of one of these uh, apps we're mentioning, I mean, we welcome to be a guest on the show and, yeah, uh, we'd love and to actually know the yeah, pitch it. Uptake. Because, yeah, I mean, and uh, probably maybe there are people that are not like Alex and me and that would actually use it. I don't know. There was a, actually, a, um, there was a, a some point in that, because I signed up to every, I'm, I'm a sucker for that, to every single flight application I can find. I always try to try them. There was something called Plainly. I don't know if you had yes. that. You, yeah, you could import your trips from TripIt and you could actually see who else would be on the same airport and the same flight, same ID. Actually, I, I imported my flights and sometimes I would see some random dude there, but I, I've never used it. No. I would never communicate. And start you need an existing layer of connection for that to feel valuable. Like, yeah. you know, as uh, one or two degrees of separation. Yeah, I mean, at least, you know, for instance, even Foursquare, I, would, I mean, not that many people use Foursquare anymore compared to the past, but when people would check in and see a friend of mine is in the same lounge or something, yeah, well, that's different because, yeah, okay, why not? He's a friend of mine. Why yeah, know him, that's right? very different. Yeah, it's very different. Uh, talking about that, there's still similar ID. There's this app called Mile High. Uh, so, again, socialize and network with your fellow flyers, et cetera, et cetera. That's a pitch. It looks like a Tinder for this guy's Oh, for God's sakes. Really? No. <laughs> You're making this up. No, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. I mean, they, they defend, they say they're not a Tinder for this guys, but sadly for them, most of the articles that were written about them were clearly saying they're Tinder for this guys. But in terms of actual Tinder for this guys, this guy, I don't remember his name because I didn't write it down in my notes, created an app called Crewme, and it's actually a Tinder for airline staff. <laughs> Isn't that? Believe it or not, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. And if anybody is either flight deck crew or cabin crew, please get in touch. I thought that was frowned upon by most airlines. I mean, I know that they can't say don't, but I, I can somebody if if you are a pilot or cabin crew or in work for an airline, can you let us know what your airline's official policy on yes, yeah. intra crew fraternization is? Because I'd love to know <laughs> that, but. Though, though maybe this app allows you know to sign up to see for or see people in the same city on the layover from other airlines. So I don't know. I yeah, no or, honestly, or, I don't. I don't know if this app is actually something serious. I'm, I'm sure it's serious. I don't want to say that the founder is not serious, but is it something that they hacked in like 48 hours in a hackathon and it's a cool idea, or is this really a business model? I don't know. And I think it, it's also more about finding people who are in the same profession as you. I mean, it's just like the yeah. the rest of those themed dating sites, I would imagine, but um, with the, the Tinder mechanism. But yeah, uh, yeah this guy, I think um, Max Boussier. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the name, yeah. Something like that. I, I, forgive me if I've just mangled your name, Max, but um, get in touch. Yeah, please. Exactly. And, and there's probably, you're right, there's probably something into verticals. You created verticals for the same profession, same interests. So maybe maybe there will be a Tinder for people who love 
airlines or love layovers. Uh, actually, <laughs> <I don't. laughs> uh, talking still about apps, actually, the, the, the CEO of Starline said something that I think he would agree with. He said that there were too many individual airline uh, apps for customers to deal with. Absolutely uh, agree with that. Yeah, I mean, we. I mean, I just said that like, I signed up for everything. Obviously, is because I'm just interested. But even if I were to remove all the stuff on top that I don't really use and just use the airport apps, and there's not that many to have on my phone, and the airline apps, just the airline apps. I have like so many. Yeah, I, they, I, looking at my phone right now, I have a, a separate folder for travel, which has three screens worth of apps, and then an entire separate folder for airlines, because you can't get your mobile boarding pass without oh, having yeah. the app. I would actually, if I fly an airline, I would download the app, I would use it, and I would I would actually delete it afterwards. Yeah, Unless too. it's, you know, the big ones like Emirates or Lufthansa, which is, the, I fly them often. I don't know if that can be resolved, but I think he actually makes a very good point about that. Uh, there was actually also um, a study that was made by, um, I don't remember, the Application Resource Center, here I have in front of me, and they actually... Uh, benchmarked uh, apps, I think it's only US, from airlines and travel. So it's a bit more than airlines. And they so they rated uh, the, those according to many uh, different, you know, are they easy to use, et cetera, et cetera. And they said that basically most of the apps they were trying were useless or were like below acceptable level. Wow. Uh, they say amongst the airlines, the, the highest, the best app was Alaska's JetBlue, uh, then, then you had like I think United was at the very bottom or something. <laughs> it shows that not only there are too many, but the quality is not always there either. I they mean, try to do too much, I think. And, they try and to the, cram. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The British Airways app, I think, is really good. Yeah, it is. So I've, yeah, I used it last week when I was going to Dublin, and it would actually timely tell me, okay, the gate. Uh, any delays, you would it would welcome me. I think that was ether only, but it would welcome me. I think through beacons, I would say, mm. uh, you know, to the security, it would tell me stuff like that are very useful, and I, it's really, you know, it works really well. Yeah, so I think they've done a good job with it. If you're interested in in apps, and uh, do you use Skyscanner? Uh, yes, at all? Absolutely. So they have a pretty cool thing. The uh, so Skyscanner is uh, is actually offering you, you Alex, anyone, but you oh. could actually apply to be the CEO, their CEO for one day. Um, so they, uh, they, I think they, they reached some uh, threshold. I think they, uh, they have four, uh, 40 million users now. So in terms to celebrate that, they said, okay, they're running a little competition. You can apply. And obviously, you'll be the CEO for, for a day. But the point is that they, uh, they will listen to you. Uh, so you could do that, Alex, because you'd be very good, I'm sure. Like uh, give, you, give them insights, uh, see the better sites and what changes they're about to oh, do. That's cool. Uh, uh, of course, play table tennis. We're talking about startup. <laughs> Handle a media interview and uh, comment on the company's strategy, et cetera, nice. et cetera. I think it's cool. The deadline is uh, August 30th. So you still have uh, a f uh, two weeks. I'll put the link in the show notes for those who want to apply. It's a cool idea. It is. Uh, they're a great company. I think they're based up in uh, in Scotland. Yeah, I think so. Yes, exactly. I think so. Oh, and, oh, and you get paid for it 2,500 quid. So wow, there you bounce. go. So it's not only free; it's not only for the, you. Still, also get compensated for being a CEO for a day. So it's pretty cool. Um, I didn't want to go over apps, but then, of course, that news popped up in my feed yesterday. Actually, there's a Frankfurt Airport app, which we already mentioned because they have the wayfinding. They're one of the first to have wayfinding. So cool. 
They just have now a new function called sign translator. So you can take a picture of any sign in obviously German, but usually they're also in English, let's be honest. And they will actually, the photo will translate on your phone. Oh, your nice. It's like, uh, it's like that Google thing. Yeah. Translate thing, yeah. app. Uh, Very cool. You know, it's, uh, they, uh, they, they have an initiative called, uh, what's the name of the initiative? Great to have you here. I'm not sure about the branding, but so and they're doing a lot of initiatives like having uh, the free Wi-Fi now is being introduced. You have a premium service is being introduced. I would just say if anyone from Frankfurt Airport is listening, you I mean, all the buses and everywhere you see, they call themselves a hub expert. So next, try a way not to for us to walk for five hours between concourse A and B, because that's not a, being an hub expert. I love you, Frankfurt Airport, but this is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> And you found something yesterday. So iOS 9 has also something cool for airline geeks. Yeah, this I stumbled across this on Reddit. Uh, and I think that the guy that, that posted it also stumbled across it when he was beta testing iOS 9. But in certain Apple apps, so some of the core apps like Notepad, Calendar, Mail, um, I think there was one or two others, Notes, you can type in a flight number. So you would just type in literally, for example... Delta hashtag 2182. And it would automatically turn that into a link and you would click the link and get an option to preview the flight. And it would give you in-app all of the information, like a map, a map showing the, the, the flight itself, the which terminal, its status, when it, get, when it departs, when it arrives, built right into the OS. Oh, wow, it's that's very, really very cool. Neat little, neat little trick. It's actually some- I'm assuming they'll build that into Safari as well. Alex found this nice animation. You can actually see it in action. It looks really well done. Yeah, really, uh, really slick. Uh, iOS 9 should actually come out next month. I think September 9th. They have their event there. So that's where probably it will go out. It'll be downloaded. If you want to use it as a beta, you can already uh, do so. Uh, have you ever used Periscope, Alex? Yes, or- very oh. briefly. I'm not I'm not uh, <laughs> a huge life casting guy, but when Periscope and Meerkat and some of the other ones came out, I had to play with them. So, yeah, so it's a live, like you said, live casting. So people, you know, basically you pop up your phone and you just suddenly record whatever is in front of you and everybody can watch it through the app if they have it on their phone. Turkish has actually broadcasted an entire flight uh, from Istanbul to JFK with Periscope. That's quite cool. It's fun. I mean, there's a video is online if you want to look at it. It's fun. You can see some some of the staff are a bit like awkward. Like, why are you filming me? I have nothing to say. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's it's a pretty. And cool. I'm assuming this was done to promote the fact that they have Wi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Turkish does cool marketing yeah, stuff. They do. I mean, they have they're really pushing the boundaries of a traditional flag carrier. So it's really cool that they they've done this. We're talking about Wi-Fi. You, the best Wi-Fi probably is not going to be on Turkish, although I hope they will. Is going to be on a company that you adore. I do, my beloved Virgin America. This actually surprised me because they've switched from ground-based Wi-Fi delivery, or are in the process of switching to from ground-based to satellite-based, and they're saying that it'll be the fastest internet connection in the world uh, on a plane, and they're. Apparently, it can do 140 gigabits per second, which is pretty crazy. I mean, that's the capacity of the satellite connection. Obviously, you won't get that at your seat. But they are saying that you will be able to stream video content, Netflix, that type of thing, which most airlines block. 
So video, Skype video chatting, all that type of thing. But they had a long relationship with uh, GoGo, which is ground-based, similar architecture to mobile phones. But now they're moving the, the whole fleet to um, to satellite base, which is which is obviously going to do a lot of good for the speed of it. But I think it's probably quite a heavy-duty retrofit to that network. So it'll be interesting to see how they plan on doing this. There's, they they put out a really detailed technical press release, which we'll put in the show notes, so you can you can have a read. But um, that's pretty cool. I mean, that this that puts them out a little bit further ahead of everybody else again. And you can play Pac-Man. That's yeah. what I read. <laughs> so when the airline launched, it was it was uh, Doom. You could play Doom. No way. Yeah. So that was pretty oh, God. cool. And now they've managed, but licensing that type of content is extraordinarily expensive. But Doom was open source for a long time. But now they figured out a way to get things like Pac-Man and a few other classic games on there, which which is is always more fun than when you go on an airline and they've got some cheesy ripoff of a, a <laughs> of a game, and you're like, this isn't fun at all. No, I don't. I almost never play games. In I mean, I've tried, but they but yeah, Doom just yeah, Doom, Doom, would, Doom is a pretty good way to to pass the time. You know what? I would actually, uh, if, if they were to implement, like we just said, I don't want to talk to other passengers, but if there was a multiplayer mode with other... I, yeah, I yeah, you know could do that. I would, actually, a, I would play. There's a few airlines that do like seat-to-seat gaming, but it's it's silly, like, like yeah, but it's cards. cards, yeah. yeah if you like, could do like uh, a, like a LAN party, which you sh- which technically should be very easy given you're all on the wi- same Wi-Fi network. Yeah, exactly. I would actually totally play that. You know that's a, a fun. So we need to get we need to get Ken Beeler, who's the responsible for this type of stuff on the show at, at Virgin America. Yeah, definitely, and we'll we'll pitch that because I really want to play massive multiplayer games on on an yeah. aircraft. That would be so fun. Of course, I'll, provided there will be teenagers in, in in the plane, I mean, I'll be dead in five seconds. Yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> we just uh, don't have the reaction time anymore. Yeah, exactly. We can, we're too old, man. Uh, uh, just quickly, if those were interested in the state of Wi-Fi, uh, Skift had, had a great article, I think it was last month. We won't have SkyMall in a paper, but well, SkyMall, <laughs> super fast Wi-Fi. <laughs> I want to know, so you're you're browsing through a, a, a catalog in a walled, walled garden, essentially, and then you buy something, and then is it are they going to deliver it to your house, or are they going to carry some products like they do with Duty Free? I've never Maybe understood both. that. Maybe both, actually, because obviously if you buy something that's pretty big, it would be really... Sure. I, mean, I guess the fact that you're like kind of locked in for two hours or 12, depending on the flight, it's like, oh, I can do some shopping, but I don't need it right now. I don't need to, to buy it at all. I don't need to buy a computer right now, but no. maybe that could be delivered to my home. I've always been blown away by Lufthansa's um, shopping catalog yeah. they have on. It's huge. The yeah, amount huge. of products they have on there. So I guess if they're going to, if you know, you move something like that to the IFE where you just go, yeah, 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 bye, 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 bye. Uh, <laughs> because, or, you know, now you have to take the catalog with you, go online, type in the number, buy it, which you're not going to do. So, sorry, my phone actually started ringing, so you might have heard that. Before we move on from apps, we started actually to use a, uh, a software called Zencaster. Thank you, guys, because it's really cool Great piece, of piece of software. But you might have heard last week, if you were listening very carefully with headphones, listening to the podcast, there were sounds, a few times sounds of planes. These are the ones that are flying over my head. This is proof I really live uh, <laughs> over the land path of, of London Heathrow, for those who don't believe it. Uh, talking about airports, I want to 
talk about airports and drones because I'm getting a bit mad. I'm just going to list a few events that happened in the past few weeks. On June 29th, uh, there was uh, at Heathrow, an A320 came very close to hit a drone. On July 5th, uh, JFK, an A380 from Emirates, uh, actually said on the ATC that they saw a drone 100 feet below them. And we, uh, when, we, when we say drones, we should we should say that we're talking about the recreational yeah, consumer the quadcopters. Drones, the quadcopters, the exact stuff, yeah, exactly. Like, on like July this. 21st, in Warsaw Airport, Lufthansa reported a near collision with a drone upon, upon landing. On August 1st, there was this big fire. I don't know if you remember. There was a huge fire that happened in the U.S. The firefighters they had to stop the operations because there were way too many drones in the area. And then that becomes even worse. The same day, August 1st, a JFK, a shuttle, Amer- a Ch- shuttle America pilot, uh, spotted a drone on the left side of his plane when he was approaching the runway. On August 3rd at Phoenix... Uh, there was a drone just 100 feet away from a commercial flight that was approaching a Sky Harbor. August 3rd, still, a JFK, a JetBlue, a JetBlue flight, flight 1834, spotted a drone while approaching JFK. Same airport, same day, Delta Flight 407 was preparing to land with a cockpit reporting seeing a drone below its right wing. That, it made that on August 4th, this is actually unprecedented, on August 4th, the Department of Homeland Security... <laughs> issued a federal terror alert because there were so many drones. Guys, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, this this is it's only a matter of time before this ends badly. Yeah, there was also a story. I mean, it was fun at first, but there was, you, maybe you have seen that there was a Virgin flight uh, taking off uh, and there were people who say, oh, there's a UFO near, next to the... I don't know if you've seen this, did, these pictures. Yeah. Again, I'm pretty sure that was a drone, right? Yeah, just, it, so it was so close. And August 12th, very recently, at uh, Tel Aviv, a Brussels airline flight upon landing, a drone crossed its path 75 meters ahead geez. of it. It crossed its path. It's not below the wing. Or I've seen one. It was it crossed the path of the airline. I mean, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, this is this is bad. I, I have a, a little tiny little quadcopter. That uh, it can go high, but I'm, I don't live anywhere near an airport, and uh, my my kids love flying it around and 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 that type of thing. But it's it's not going to oh, do wow, anything. Oh, this is really but, cool. But there are some of those bigger sort of semi-pro, higher-end recreational ones that if that gets ingested into an engine, it, especially on final, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. That's game over. So you know, if, if people keep doing this, then it's going to ruin it for the people that that use them responsibly. I think a lot of these are. Uh, TV stations that are don't have they used to use helicopters now they use drones because they can put them in a wildfire and if it if it you know gets burnt then they don't really care. And but, it's cheaper as well. Yeah, it's cheaper. It's lower risk. You're not putting well, you're not putting the pilots' lives of a helicopter in danger, but now you're putting 300 people on a 747 in danger plus all the people on the ground. So if you have a quadcopter or one of these things, don't be a dick. Use it responsibly. Seriously, not just because you're going to ruin it for those of us who do, but you could cause a disaster. Interestingly, NASA is looking into doing an ATC for drones over the US. That could be something that could help because yeah. now Ronaldo is like, it's, it feels, I mean, there are clear regulations by the FAA that you're not supposed to have a drone over an, air, an airport. Yeah. It, it appears that it doesn't actually, you know, these people are still doing it. They're going to uh, make examples out of people, I think, pretty soon. First, it was the lasers, you know, pilots getting lasers shown yeah. in their eyes on approach. And they arrested some people and threw the book at them in the US. And I think pretty soon there will be some, 
quadcopter flyers that will also have that uh, experience. Apparently, the FAA had been sending, uh, so the story is a bit blurry, but had been sending letters uh, to people who actually had uploaded the, uh, the content on YouTube. And saying, oh, you, you were not authorized to put that content on YouTube because uh, since there are ads on YouTube, your content is being commercialized. Thus, mm. it's a commercial action. Thus, you have to take it down. I don't know. This is just the beginning, but it's interesting that the FAA is actually even monitoring on YouTube footage. Surely, surely they should be saying there's no way that you could have got that footage without flying in a restricted area. Therefore, we're coming for you. Yeah, and, and and guys, look, take an example. There's, uh, if you want, I mean, footage. I love. I'm a sucker for footage from from drones. I mean, Greg Anandale has done breathtaking footage. Uh, just after he was on the show, he went to the Faroe Islands. He took this footage is absolutely incredible from a drone. Yeah. So it's great to have drones. We have nothing against drones no, not themselves. And we also, there are, there are amazing footage from an airport. So there's an example, Mexico International Airport. This company had authorization. This is the thing, get the authorization. Authorization by the airport. And they made this footage of the airport that is completely incredible. I'll put the link. There's a video there. Look at how beautiful the airport looks from the skies. It's a great video. But get the authorization. Uh, actually, there was a story, nothing, nothing related with aircraft, but there's a story of this guy in Kentucky that had a drone flying over his house. He actually shot it down. Yeah, he took out a shotgun and shot it down. Well, why not? Good for him. It was on his property. Yeah, maybe that's another solution. You just shoot them down or something. Uh, <laughs> talking about guns, uh, the Atlanta was the airport that had the most guns seized by the TSA. Really? Uh, I I don't know if I should be surprised by that. There was a I'll put the link. There was a uh, an article with that showed the most crazy things the TSA has gotten in the first six uh, month of this year. I mean, an inert anti tank projectile, <laughs> a, a stun gun disguised as lipstick. Yes. <laughs> what are we talking about? Anyway, uh, so the, the Facebook drone. Tell us about the Facebook drone, Alex. So this That's- is the Facebook drone. There was whispers of this about a year ago, and everyone sort of thought, yeah, 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 fine, whatever. And then last week or two weeks ago, they, through their internet.org uh, spinoff, unveiled it. And it is quite extraordinary. So internet.org is is their initiative to kind of democratize access to to the internet. So try and get un, uh, underdeveloped countries online. And they've unveiled this drone called Aquila. I think that's how it's pronounced. I think so. Yeah. With the with the aim to do just that, give give internet access to to countries and regions that lack the infrastructure to do it um, easily. And it, it's this. It looks like a B two has been stretched out b2 yeah b2 the spirit has been stretched out and actually it's as wide as a has the same wingspan as a 737 it's made out of uh uh, carbon fiber and 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 things like that so really really low powered and it's and it's solar powered the thing that blew me away is it will fly at sixty thousand feet and they can stay aloft for three months Wow. And you'll have these sort of swarms of, of them above an area at 60,000 feet. And then they'll use lasers to, to beam, beam the beam data the down. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. At, uh, at, you know, tens of gigabytes per second between each of the drones themselves and then down to systems on the ground. So it's it's ambitious, but they've but they've actually done it. I'm fascinated to see one of these get up and, 
and airborne. Just just to see the thing fly because it really is an extraordinary looking object. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. And uh, it's true that for a long time, this project, along with the project of Google, they had the balloons. You know, they want to put balloons mm-hmm. that beam the internet as well. They look a bit like science fiction. You're like, why would people imagine that? Is it just not some kind of vanity project? But they're actually running and maybe there's something to it. Uh, talking about still about fascinating technology of the future, um, we talked about Spaceship uh, 2 in the past, but there was this article that uh, you grabbed your eye that was actually a pretty impressive and also pretty a bit sad article, right? This is extraordinary. So th- we talked about this, I think, early on in the show uh, about the accident that Spaceship 2 had um, a few months ago where because of a mistake – a lever was pulled that started the feathering process far too early and far too fast, and it meant that the entire craft disintegrated in a matter of seconds uh, at about 50,000 feet and going supersonic. One of the pilots was killed. The other pilot was, and I'll, I'm going to quote a few things here because it really, this investigation came out from, an initial investigation came out from the from the NTSB and has been really well documented by NPR. And it says, quote, during the breakup sequence, Siebold, who was the pilot, was thrown from the vehicle. Remember, this is at 50,000 feet, while still restrained in his seat. During his descent to the ground, the pilot released himself from his his seat and his parachute deployed automatically. While he, he was doing all of this, he was doing everything he needed to do to complete an emergency descent with four fractures to his right arm, a dislocated shoulder, a fractured right clavicle, a fractured little uh, little toe, bruises on his face, chest, and leg, and a r- bloody gash in his elbow. And because his visor had been ripped off, he'd had two pieces of debris lodged in his eye, and oh and his corneas were scratched. So he couldn't, he could barely see anything, but he managed to figure out what was going on as he was kind of drifting in and out of consciousness get the seat off of him, orient himself in the right position to then uh, figure out what, what had happened. And he, the quote here is, the next thing he remembered, he was, he was outside of SS2, that's the name of the vehicle, and was still at high, high altitude. He heard a high-frequency whistling noise, and his helmet and mask were no longer on his face straight. Just an extraordinary recollection and account of, uh, of airmanship and just toughness, frankly. That he was able to land the this 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 parachute with all of those injuries. When he hit the ground, he realized he was bleeding profusely from his leg, but not enough for him to worry about it. So then he started to figure out where he was. It's like how would to be able to have the presence of mind to do that is just amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, did, I mean, I really recommend people to read that story because it's. Uh... You know, it looks like these stories of pioneers, a space program, and, yeah. you know, like really the testing the boundaries of technology, of flying Absolutely. technology. And it's, it's something uh, out of the right stuff. And, like, this, the guy is just tough. He said, um, as he was moving to take the parachute harness off, he felt a clunking noise in his chest God. and was concerned about a spinal fracture. So he figured that he shouldn't, he shouldn't move. But just, just amazing. And the, it, the authorities and the medical teams took a very long time to get to them, even though he had a, a chase plane circling him basically from the moment that, that he was at the altitude where they could they could be up there with him. Wow. Well, a story to read. Talking about the NTSB and another less dramatic ending, uh, Harrison Ford, we actually, the NTSB released a report about that. Yes. So the, the, 
those of you that remember this, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, Han Solo, basically every great character that's ever been created for the movies. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> is a huge aviation nerd and a extremely experienced pilot. He's been flying for years and has um, every rating under the sun. He crashed on a golf course uh, in his uh, 1946, I think it was a T-6 training, uh, World War II training airplane and was reasonably well in, you know, badly injured for a man of his age in his mid 70s or early 70s. He just happened to land basically at the feet of a world renowned doctor who uh, was able to administer on site help. But anyway, it turns out that the cause of the of the uh, of the issue was a faulty faulty carburetor, which is responsible for controlling the fuel flow to the engines and the mixture of, of kind of air and fuel and all of that. And it a piece of it had broken off and, and basically cut off the fuel supply. And he uh, was a, he crashed after experiencing a loss of power at a very low altitude. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that happens, I suppose, with these old airplanes. Yeah, built in 1942. I think he said that he doesn't really truly remember the very end of the, the whole thing. Which right? is understandable. And understandable, right. I'm not criticizing, obviously. But to- still talking about uh, disruption in the air, there was uh, something that everybody saw the pictures of in the last week. This hailstorm that, I mean, this is crazy. The pictures are just insane. I think it was a Delta flight, right? Yeah, it was a Delta flight that uh, was, was doing a, a transcon from, from Boston. And they went through a, a thunderstorm or very, very near a thunderstorm for whatever whatever reason. This time of year around the Rockies, they're basically impossible to avoid. But they were pummeled with hailstones the size is the size of of uh softballs tennis balls baseballs whatever you want to use they it absolutely destroyed the nose cone it smashed yeah, yeah. the windows uh, the uh, of the uh, of both um uh, captain and first officer uh, totally obscuring their view so they had to land on instruments and uh, apparently the plane dropped 14,000 feet in two minutes. I don't believe that statistic because that's a hell of a drop. 7,000 feet a minute, that's... Yeah, that's really, yeah. I don't I don't believe that bit for a second, but the rest of it, I, I mean, you look at the pictures, it's staggering. Massive kudos to the pilots for being able to land uh, a plane that was so severely damaged. One flight attendant was apparently said that it was the worst turbulence that she's experienced in 30 years of working as a flight attendant. Yeah, that must be quite. That must have been quite something. I think also that was very sudden. I, I don't think. I mean, uh, there's no report. I think yet. But I, I mean, do you think it's something that is avoidable by either ATC or by, uh, by sorry, by air traffic or by themselves or maybe even some airlines actually have a direct uh, Delta as its own meteorological center where they can actually also help pilots. So do you think, because there have been some controversy online, do you think it's something that should have been avoided or something that couldn't have been avoided? Pilots will ne- and airlines will never knowingly fly into thunderstorms. Of course. Yeah, because well, they can, you know, the heart of a thunderstorm can rip an airplane apart. Uh, I, I think it's one of those things that, that cropped up in the afternoon over the Rockies. They were surrounded by them. They picked the path of least resistance and it wasn't a good choice. Yeah. Um, I think so too. And yeah. they were they were pummeled. I mean, to suggest the pilots, I love that you always get these quotes from passengers, and you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. They I think were, there was there was uh, there was a uh, talking. I mean, I'm sure it was very frightening. I would have been I would have been terrified. Uh, I wouldn't be terrified in that situation. 
Uh, though I would still quote, uh, uh, there's this airliners.net thread about it. Obviously, airliners talks about everything yeah, that it has to do of, with these uh, kind of... Court, uh, armchair pilots there. And uh, the first line says, of course, the usual distress and exaggeration of uh, by passengers of the near-death situation they were in. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Rough. Like, they, you know, the, ca- the pilot yeah, I mean, flew us through a thunderstorm. No, they didn't. <laughs> the plane dropped 14,000 feet. No, it didn't. <laughs> uh, there was a similar situation, not as as, as, as dire. Uh, in July 27, an American airline uh, plane in northern Beijing also flew through a thunderstorm, also was pelted by hail. It was a Dreamliner that was also damaged to a nose cone. And there's a video, I'll put in the link, not the video of the ex- accident itself, but the video of how they reconstructed the cone. It's pretty nice. Like, oh, they they, they replaced, uh, they had a temporary cone uh, uh, fit, fitted in uh, Beijing. Then they flew the Dreamliner to Narita in Tokyo, Tokyo Japan. And then they uh, rebuilt the windshields because also the front windshields, you know, there's multiple layers to reassure also people that were flying. There's not a single window. There are multiple layers of windows in the windshield. Uh, but so the first ones were hit the, 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 and then they fitted the final cone there. It's a really cool video. So that is, I'd like to my... see that. And, that. and have you seen talking about video, that video of the of the thunderstorm, I think it was even you know, like a hurricane in Taiwan. Yeah, that was gener. It was so fast and generating so much lift over the wing of a parked and uh, empty. I think it's an A three thirty. It's difficult to tell from the picture. Uh, China Airlines. Uh, it's generating enough lift over the wing to actually get the nose wheel to lift off the ground. And this is it's a pretty amazing video. Yeah, so it says it's a large four engine airplane, so it must be. Either a, a 747 or a or an A330, A340, but it was a 124 mile an hour winds, and it, the the plane sort of just lifts up off the ground. It's really quite extraordinary. Obviously, it wasn't going to go anywhere, but and planes when they're empty are weighted to be, you know, massively biased towards the rear of the airplane. But that still doesn't take away from the the sheer power of this typhoon. So yeah, these storms are always a, a bit scary. Actually, some people use alcohol to, you know, kind of dwindle the anxiety down. I'm not saying that you should, but I mean, there are stories always, there's always been stories of people having, actually, in the UK, I find that very bizarre. The, the, people having gin and tonics in the morning in the lounge, is it normal, Alex? Is it You're normal? Right? Yeah. I, I don't yeah, think it's, it's ever normal to do that, but it's it definitely seems to be part of British culture that... As soon as you enter the departures lounge, it's happy hour, even if it's six <laughs> o'clock in the morning. And, I don't get and it. I, neither do I. It's a, it's a it. it's a cultural phenomenon. I don't know if anywhere in Europe is is the same, but I have lived in this country as an adult for seven years now, nearly eight, and I still I can't get used to it. It still surprises me. I'm like, yeah, oh, me, me, yeah, me too. I mean, I like anyway. GNT as much as the next guy, but not at six o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah, no, I cannot do that. Uh, so yeah, so some people use alcohol to because they're anxious, if, afraid of flying, anxious. Maybe there's also the, there's a lot of turbulences, but obviously sometimes it gets out of control. So there was a story of a Swedish pilot that actually used an axe on the lavatory door to put a guy out because he was so drunk he didn't want to go out. The usual stories of people flying to from especially from the UK. Sorry, Alex, I know you have that passport to the. Uh, <laughs> To Spain or you know the islands and being completely already wasted yeah. with in, during the flight, uh, there was a thing. Another little story here: a United Airlines passenger was arrested 
after he uh, refused to turn his cell phone off, uh, he punched another passenger, then hits a Chicago police officer because, of course, again, he was drunk. I say it reminds me of something because when I was taking off from Dublin to, to London, uh, there was this guy who was still on the phone with his headphones and, you know, he was refusing to turn the flight. The plane actually was actually taking off and he was still talking on the phone. So some people are really stupid. What a jerk. Usually it's a passenger that is drunk. But this story is the opposite. Is the crew that was like, what the hell, Alex? Yeah, this happened uh, just a few days ago and the captain and the first officer and two flight attendants of an Air Baltic flight were caught uh, in Oslo, all of them drunk. And not and not <laughs> like they've had a couple of beers. They'd been drinking hard liquor on the evening before they were supposed to fly 100 passengers. Uh, I think they were going to, to Crete or, or Crete, 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 Crete in Greece, yes, yes. The captain had a blood alcohol level of 0. 0.4. One flight attendant had... a. a 0.4 as well. The other had point zero point eight, not 0 0.08, 0 0.8. And the first officer... Yeah, yeah, the first officer. Yeah. ...had a blood alcohol level of 1.2. And that's, that's when, you know, that's arriving in the plane i mean the airport because it was they, they were not allowed to get into the plane after i think the the hotel staff warned the airport authorities as these guys were drunk but it means that he had 1.2 at that time how much must he, was he the night before i just delirious insane that's uh, staggering that both of them all of them had been drinking together and i mean there's such strict laws on this and you know there's the fact that they even contact i mean of course all have all four have been fired they're all all four of them are facing criminal charges um i don't know if they're facing criminal charges in norway um or not but jeez yes they are they're being held in norway because they think that they might have sconed but uh oh, wow unbelievable Talking about drunk people, <laughs> we said about Malaysian MH that they were about to rebrand it. It's a very strong possibility. And if you heard a rumor that actually will do it, and you have even a rumor about the new name, and that's being a drunken name, right? That cannot be true. I can't believe this has got to be somebody trolling. There's no way this is real. But it's. I found this thing on airliners that says, according to China Times, and they link to an article which is in Chinese. Um, from Taiwan and Taiwanese aviation forums, Malaysia Airlines has approached local civil aviation authorities to apply for a name change. When translated from Chinese, the new company name is literally Malaysia International Airlines. The logo will be kept for the short term. Now, you can go, okay, that makes sense, but MIA, Malaysia International Airlines? Come on. <laughs> There's no way that's real. No. And if it is, somebody should be fired. Yeah, that's... <laughs> It's just, yeah. I, I mean, we'll see if it's actually real or not. It's me. I mean, like you said, if you if you don't think about the acronym, it makes sense, right? It's Malaysian International Airlines. Why not? Yeah, it's right? like Swiss International. Exactly. They went for stuff like that. So, but I mean, just MIA after what happened. I mean, no way. Uh, there was a rep uh, actually probably the. Uh, I think the rebrand was given to Sachin Sachi Malaysia, I think, or MSC. Uh, so they are, there are brand consultants working on it. It's actually a given fact that they will rebrand. Uh, the head of marketing of Malaysia uh, Airlines actually left the company. His name was Dean Daco. I don't know if he was fired or he left. I mean, there's, I mean, we don't know. That's, that's not the, the point here. 
But he had said, and that's I want to hear you your thoughts about that. He had said that prior to MH370, globally Malaysian Airlines brand awareness was in the low single digits. But after MH370, MH17, it is 80% worldwide. The name is now in the range of Coke and Pepsi. That kind of awareness takes decades and billions of dollars in investment to build. To abandon that from a commercial marketing perspective would be a tragically bad mistake to make. That was his point of view. What do you think? I mean, is it is it a bit too much? I mean, come on. You had two planes shot down, one disappeared the other. And you're thinking that, yeah, well, our brand awareness is like 80, 86%. Yeah, but... Yeah, and, and that may be the case, but it doesn't... I mean, brand awareness is one thing. Brand sentiment is another. another yeah. You know, if 86% of the world has a negative brand perception of you, I would rather take low single-digit brand awareness of a positive brand than, you know, any day of the week. I mean, it's, it's a staggeringly... Um, you know, one plus one equals three comment to make. Yeah. It just, it's, it's insane. And then, you know, he says, like you, like you said, the, the kind of awareness takes de- decades and billions of dollars investment to build. I would say that kind of exposure and awareness will take decades and billions of dollars of investment to fix. Yeah. You're right. No, you're absolutely right. Anyway, we'll see. We'll follow up this story. We'll see what happens with that uh, branding, rebranding. Still talking about people being drunk. I'm sorry, this is not was not thinking about being the point of the show, but one of the places you can actually buy alcohol, of course, maybe to get drunk in a plane. Of the stories you said before, maybe the Air Baltic guys, when they were actually boarding that plane, is a duty free shop in airports. It's something we a staple of all airports and well, pretty much all of them. And this is big scandal that uh, was just revealed by the Independent in the UK about VAT. So VAT is basically, for those who do not live in, in Europe, it's a sales tax, right? Yeah. And you exactly. have to 20% get... 20% too, hefty. In, in the UK, yeah. And you have to get a PhD in physics and math to be able to understand the accounting of VAT because it just doesn't make sense. Trust me, it's just the yeah. worst thing ever. Anyway... That's my rant about VAT. But so, and when you do uh, shop at airports in the UK, and if you leave the EU, so if you leave the countries that are within the EU, you're not supposed to pay the VAT. To make sure you're leaving the EU, the shop will request you to actually show your boarding pass and usually scan it. And we see that all actually all over the world. It appears though that shops would in the UK, and these are, and I'm going to call them out, boots. W.H. Smith, Dixon's, and a few others, they would actually do that. Mm-hmm. That they would not give you the 20% off, basically. They will simply actually pocket the money. Yep. Staggering. It's, no, it's just insane. I mean, let's be, let's, one thing clear duty free, because we see duty free all around the world, duty free usually reserved to two types of items alcohol and cigarettes. Alcohol and cigarettes have. Special taxation in the airports, usually there are massive companies, including some uh, called World Duty Free, which is a shop you see in many, many airports in the world. If you buy those, you have to provide a boarding pass because it proves that you're flying, it proves you're going somewhere else, so that's fine. Dixon charges 619 pounds, so that's British pounds, for an iPhone 6 on the high street. So if you go in London, for instance, in airport stores, it's slightly cheaper. So they sell it at 593.99. But that's nowhere near the 20%, which is 
pounds of difference. So basically, they, they're making you feel that, hey, you get a get good deal, but they pocket the difference. I mean, oh, whatever. I can't figure out how this isn't illegal because shouldn't be they be paying that 20% to the government? No, that's the thing. So the government considers that as long as soon as you've proven, and that's via the boarding pass, as soon as Alex Hunter has proven you're buying an iPhone 6 in uh, Dixon's in, at Ethro, you're going to San Francisco. So you for the tax authorities, Alex Hunter doesn't have to pay the 20%. So they will not request Dixon's to actually show any proof of that 20%. But so they're then Dixon's, charging the passengers exactly. and pocketing the difference. They're still charging the passenger. And of course, they're using the term duty-free. So you're, you feel like you're having a good deal because you get like a few pounds off what you would pay in London anyway. So you're like, oh, why not? Since this article now, there's obviously been a huge uproar. Uh, there has been actually uh, reports of people refusing to show their uh, boarding yeah, passes Yeah, that's kind anymore. of like this big protest that's going on. I would do that, actually. I mean, uh, whatever. I mean, honestly, either give me that 20% off or just don't pretend you're giving me a, a, like a Good deal, especially if you're pocketing the money. Exactly. That's the worst part. I mean, honestly. Uh, now they are reacting. So some, the worst was uh, uh, WH Smith. So Dumas Smith is this uh, is kind of a store where you can buy you from magazines to small bottled water and, you know, very casual stuff. Yeah. And they say that the reason they cannot do it is that, okay, so it's true that magazines and books, you have no VAT. So they have a special thing for these types of, of items, whereas a bottle of water, for instance, you have to pay VAT. So they said it's impossible to create a proper invoice with a machine with having two different lines of VAT. That's bullshit. Now, nowadays, technologies, you can't. It's just, you're yeah. just unwilling to. And especially you pocketing the difference. So honestly, sawed off. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry for that. Uh, I'm a part of that consumer backlash. Uh, so over for consumer backlash, but uh, we're more and more the, the, the airports were becoming malls. <laughs> the airports you chose for this week as we entered at the beginning of the show is like a casino. It's not a mall. It's like you can play basically any kind of game within the airport. I haven't been to this airport, so I'll let you run with it. It's, um, it's a mediocre airport at best. It's quite tired, big. And you do get a really broad collection of airlines, that's for sure. A lot of charter stuff, a lot of leisure European leisure traffic. Do you so sorry? Uh, do you realize by dis- the description of your the airport you just made, it's just actually making the, uh, my point of U.S. airports being really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great airport. Uh, it is as as Paul alluded to. It is full of slot machines. I don't think they can do table gaming or anything like that, but I might be wrong. But uh, certainly, the whole place is just teeming with with slot machines, and every now and then you. Uh, you hear somebody whooping for joy as they've actually pulled a pulled a jackpot, um, but it's it's yeah it's it's right there in the, in the heart of Las Vegas. There are a number of hotels um, that you get a great view of the airport from. Um, the Luxor, the uh, the Egyptian themed pyramid hotel, yeah. is is a particularly good has a particularly good view of the airport. Um, it's surrounded by mountains on one so. I just contradicted myself. It's not surrounded by mountains on one side. <laughs> there is one side that is a fairly steep mountain ridge. And so if you're coming in from, well, basically Europe uh, all the way to the to the Bay Area, uh, on landing and takeoff, it can be very turbulent as that that hot air comes off the off the desert ground, but also the desert wind, which is notorious in Vegas, uh, kind of loops up off of the mountains. Um 
I'm not even going to go into the details of of a Vegas airport. It's 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 reasonably easy to figure out. Security is a nightmare always, so leave loads of time for that. The reason why I want to talk about Las Vegas Airport, I know why, I know why, <laughs> is Janet. Yeah. And you're and you're probably thinking those there, there are a few of you out there who are like, oh yes, dude. There are a few. Most of you are probably thinking, who the hell is Janet? Janet is not a who; it's a thing. And if you are on the uh, what would it be? I think the north side of the airport, uh, you'll notice a few, up to 11, uh, unmarked Boeing 737s. White, uh, they're white, predominantly white with a red stripe, and they belong to Janet. And Janet is the de facto name for a small fleet of these 737s that are operated on behalf of the United States Air Force. And it is the worst kept secret in the world that their job is to ferry employees to places like Area 51. Uh, (laughs) They go to Area 51, they go to the Tonopah Test Range, which is a huge uh, military test site in Nevada. They go to Plant 42, which is an Air Force test site in California, and to the... um, the last one? Oh, the Naval Air Weapons Station in China Lake in California. And they, they, they will frequently – you can fly, follow these, a lot of these flights on, on FlightAware. But they will uh, – they'll start with a, a normal flight path and you can watch them take off on FlightAware. And then all of a sudden, they will turn off their flight plan and descend into Area 51. So I'll, I'll put, post some links on uh, – on, on the show notes, but you'll see like they'll they'll take off out of Vegas and then they'll cancel their flight plan right around where Area 51 is supposed to be and drop off the radar <laughs> as they descend into where they're supposed to be going. So, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about this, but really, I mean, people have to work at these test ranges and they are they are publicly acknowledged test sites and facilities and uh, places like that. And, of course, people have to work there, and they're in the middle of the desert. So they're basically like a, an employee bus service. But it's, it's really cool to think about what yeah, those but there, there, but There's a name for Janet. There's a, Actually, Janet is an actual name, but people call it, and I love what they say it is. Yeah, so Janet came out of nowhere, but it stands it's supposed to stand for just another non-existent terminal. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it's very X Files a little bit. Yeah, and actually, the the guys over at Flight Club on Jalopnik did a really, really good in-depth piece about about Janet and where it flies to, um, and where the name came from, and how long they've been they've been flying for, and the types of planes they have. It's 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 well worth reading. But I've never been to Las Vegas and not seen at least one Janet seven thirty seven sitting there. I haven't, I haven't been in Las Vegas in like more than 20 years. So I have to get back just, just for that, actually. Because Nellis Air Force Base and the Nevada test site are just outside of Las Vegas. And it's I've driven from Vegas back up to the Bay Area many, many times. And it's weird slash eerie what you see. Like way off in the distance, there'll just be a dirt road leading to the side of a mountain. Nothing else for maybe hundreds of miles. But at the end of that road, there's a mountain and there's a door in the mountain, <laughs> like a garage door, you know? So you're like, I wonder what's happening there. I want to know what's happening there. And for those who actually love it, and I know um, Alex does, who loves uh, Microsoft uh, Flight Simulator, you can actually fly a Janet uh, 737, I think, on the X edition of uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. 
That's uh, right. And uh, you can also do a mission. I think you can even take off with to go to Area 51 in one of the missions. So if you actually want to feel like being one of those, you know, feel like being completely uh, disappear from the radar, just, you know, play Fly Simulator. You'll, you know, I know, I know Alex loves that. You tried to install that on your new Mac, actually. I right? did. I did. And it was just a cluster. I, I installed <laughs> Windows 8. It was the first time I'd used Windows since uh, XP, and I just gave up after about two days of wrestling with it and malware and viruses. Yeah, small joke. You know what? There's no uh, Windows 9. No? Because Windows 7, 8, 9. <laughs> That's yes. my son's favorite joke, too. <laughs> <laughs> On that, sorry for that lousy one to end up the show. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'll see you next week, Alex. All right, I'll see you guys on a Janet flight in the future, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, don't lose all your money in, in Vegas. Yeah. Bye, guys. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing. <laughs>